I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There is no better group of plants for flower power and forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. When you're in the gardening trade, your business all too often is self-made. And I can't think of many for who that's more true than my guest today. Many of you listening may have used Uncle Tom's Rose Tonic, one of the most popular plant foods for roses, uh, used widely in the trade. And I'll be speaking to the man who makes it. It's Tom Nellist. My thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast. Beautiful weather this week, uh, although I'm desperate for some rain. If only we could have a really good rain overnight. All my water butts are empty and the lawns are going brown, but there we are. We have to live with these things. Uh, Making a visit, as I do uh, every evening, to a public car park, I've noticed that a really big sweet chestnut tree in full flower is almost luminous. As it gets dark, you know, you can't really see the leaves, but the catkins absolutely shine out. I don't know whether I'm the only one that's noticed that or whether it's the accepted thing, but they are really beautiful just after dark. Back in the garden, I mean, it's... uh, Oh dear, the, the, the lawns may not need cutting much, but there's still a lot to do. Harvesting crops seems to take so much time. I've got gooseberries to pick, there's still a few red currants and black currants to pick, uh, and now uh, I've got two early plums and, and they're just ripening. And it's not just the picking, you know, they've got to be dealt with. <laughs> I'll have to get another chest freezer before I've done. On the news front, there's uh, much written and said currently about wildlife gardening and attracting the wildlife into the garden. Well, I have to report today that uh, I have a mole that's uh, digging right across my vegetable plot and up-earthing all kinds of vegetables. The blooming grey squirrels are nibbling off the strawberries. In many cases, they just bite through the stem and drop them. Really aggravating it is. And I've got foxes digging damn great holes and then leaving excrement all over the place that I have to clear up and scorching patches in the lawn. And then, of course, there's pigeons. They sit above some of my lettuce and salad crops and defecate, making that inedible. I'll tell you. Uh, The idea of attracting even more wildlife in the garden, uh, it doesn't meet with much approval from me at present. Uh, I'd do anything to be rid of most of the things that I've just uh, listed. I was interested to hear too that with foxes, they won't go near human urine. And apparently it has to be male. Female urine doesn't work for some reason. So there you are. If, like me, you're troubled with foxes causing havoc... 
then uh, applying a bit of human urine around the outer perimeter of your patch may help. I'm not sure that I've got the nerve to put it into practice, but I might try it, and if I do, I'll report back. A more worrying bit of news is the uh, arrival again of the oak processionary moth. This is a, a moth that produces a caterpillar on oaks that sheds its hair that causes damage to humans, and we were free of it. And then imported trees introduced it into the London area, and more recently, in the last few weeks, colonies have been seen uh, in Hampshire, Gloucestershire and Worcestershire. The Bonningdale Nurseries, uh, an old acquaintance of mine, Tim Edwards, well, I knew his father even better, Tim Edwards on his Bonningdale Nursery says that uh, they're not going to import any more oaks uh, from the continent. He's heard that uh, something like three times the number of uh, these processionary moths uh, have been reported in Holland uh, and that it is, you know, quite a problem just across the Channel and we need to do everything possible to avoid bringing it here. The main suggestion is that where people do import oaks that they put them in quarantine so that they're watched very carefully. People from Europe importing into Britain need to be careful too because uh, if a delivery is found to have this uh, oak processionary moth then the whole lot is destroyed not just the tree with it but all the trees that came with it so there's a very good reason for the uh, importers to be very careful and I hope a bit of song and dance now will at least reduce the presence of this uh, pretty miserable pest. When it comes to home gardening, then bulbs in pots should have died right down by now, and if the leaves have gone yellow to crisp brown, then tip the lot out, clean the bulbs, put them to one side ready to plant again in the autumn if they're big enough, and then of course the pots can be used again. I've done this with one or two big pots, and I've put the begonia big, just one plant in 12 to 15 inch pots, boy, they're stunning things. They don't half grow. It's just an ordinary fibrous-rooted begonia, but it'll make a plant at least two foot high and very nearly the same across. I noticed that they had them for sale uh, in B&Q. You know, these begonia big are great survivors. If you let them get a little bit dry, uh, they don't seem to uh, complain too much. Well, the leaves go a little bit silvery. But if you give them a really good soaking, then the next day they're back shining in all their glory. So if you want a bit of easy care, bright colour in a, a container close to the back door or front door, then just give those begonia bigger trial. They come in both green and dark bronze leaf colour in red and pink. I was working at Hyde Hall over the last weekend and several people came up with questions. You know, it's inevitable, isn't it, once you appear? A gentleman asked why his onions were so small. He liked the challenge of raising them from seed, but he could never get them much bigger than a 50 pence piece in terms of bulb size. Now, there are several things here. If you're sowing onions from seed, you really need to sow it indoors in January and February to get a good-sized seedling. Because onions, the bulb size is dependent on the number of leaves. 
and if you can sow quite early and get them growing early, then you have more leaves and they make bigger bulbs. I'm already harvesting some quite big onions from what we call Japanese onion sets. The Japanese cultivars that are sown in July, August or planted as sets in September just grow through the winter, uh, produce a much earlier crop than normal and good-sized bulbs, so that's another option. I think, quite honestly, that if um, the average gardener just plants ordinary onion sets in March, April, they should get good-sized bulbs. But if you want big ones, really big ones, then you need to sow or start early. It was interesting, too, uh, to hear the comments from visitors at Hyde Hall as they came through the entrances uh, of our floral fantasia area because there are two big patches of sweet peas grown up sticks. You know, lots of people said, oh, my father, or even more, my grandfather used to grow those, and families seem to have got out of the habit of it. Lots said that they had tried sowing and planting them, but they never did uh, any good, and by the sound of it, it's because they started much too late. You know, if you're sowing in March, April, and planting out in late spring, particularly on the east coast where it's quite dry and the weather goes a bit hot, then the sweet peas don't have a chance. If you sow them 10th of October, sow them in the autumn where you want them to flower, get the roots really down deep, then you get much earlier flowers. They'll be flowering in June and they'll grow much uh, taller There'll be more flowers and they'll flower for longer because of that deeper root system. I was speaking to Andrew Tokley of E.W. King Coggeshall and last year, I think for the first time, they sowed their main sweet pea crop early November, which is quite late from my point of view. They germinated very well, had a good stand over winter because sweet peas will take any amount of cold They came through the 62, 63 winter, so I know they'll take cold. And they have the finest lot of uh, sweet pea flour and uh, seed set uh, that they've had for years. So uh, if it works for them, sowing the seed outside in a field, it should certainly work pretty well for the average home gardener. There's a bit of a problem at present with pollen beetle. You know, when the oilseed rape dies in the fields, uh, they come... Uh, invading lots of our flowers and in sweet peas in particular they're a blooming nuisance your best bet when you cut some sweet peas is to shake them a bit because that shakes out some of the pollen beetle but then take them into a shed or garage where it's dark but with a window because the beetles tend to fly to the light and that way you'll reduce the number that are in cut flowers when you take them indoors Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My guest this week is Mr. Tom Nellist, who's the chairman and managing director of uh, Farmwell. Actually, uh, you may know about him from a thing called Uncle Tom's Rose Tonic. It sort of crept up on us over the years, very widely used by uh, commercial rose growers and increasingly in gardens. So, uh, Tom, welcome to our podcast. And can you give us a bit of a history lesson on Uncle Tom's Rose Tonic? Well, yes, around 1999 to 2000, it was noted on the internet that the South Australian government were concerned they were losing a lot of species of native plant from Phytophthora, wet feet, which you don't associate with Australia. But they were treating this problem with potassium phosphate. I'm involved uh, with hops in Herefordshire and realized if it would treat Phytophthora, it might have an effect on downy mildew, which is the main disease on hops. Um, I managed to get some manufactured for me, put it out to about six different hop growers, and it worked. And from then it progressed into uh, the salad leaf industry, uh, strawberries, raspberries, the asparagus growers, who all confirmed its success. So that was the start of it. But then the name, which absolutely fascinates me, why Uncle Tom's? (laughs) (laughs) my nickname since a very early age and I'm now an old age has been Uncle Tom oh really somebody said why not call it Uncle Tom's Rose Tonic (laughs) which obviously can't be sold in America (laughs) although I do send some there (laughs) it's just clicked I was a bit I was a bit slow on that (laughs) so what do you call it in America then we do have some American listeners it's sold commercially in America unfortunately I just send it to odd people who want it Oh, right. There we are. And so does it go as Uncle Tom's? Oh, yes. Oh, don't take the label off, no. (laughs) Now, if we come back to the basic ingredients then, potassium phosphite. Phosphite, yes, as opposed to phosphate, yes. It it means that you have those two basic plant foods. That's it. uh, Potassium, potash, and phosphorus. That's right. No nitrogen, which which would cause leafy growth. A chance encounter, really, and I didn't know then who Chris Warner was, famous rose breeder. We were just at a bar at a conference asking for a cup of coffee, and he just threw out this remark that um, I wish there was something that would control downy mildew in roses because it's going to kill our industry. Um, And I said, well, I know nothing about roses, but I do about hops and downy mildews involved there. So I sent him some, and he tried it. He came back and said, what's in this stuff? It certainly works. Uh, he tried it for a couple of years and confirmed it did work. He then told the likes of David Austin, um, Gareth Fryer, and they tried it, and they all came back and said, look, you've got to get this on garden center shelves. Give it a name because the commercial name is Farm Foss 44, usually in 1,000-liter containers, so it became Uncle Tom's Rose Tonic in small bottles. I mean, that's an amazing story, isn't it? Well, had I, had I not run into Chris, I, this, I wouldn't be talking to you now. 
Exactly. Just luck. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, you saw the thing being uh, used in Australia, not not even for uh, Downey Muda at the time. Oh, no. And then you gave it a bit of a try, found it worked, and met Chris by chance. I mean, it's an unbelievable story, isn't it? <laughs> You know, no no almighty big advertising campaign, as happens with no. the introduction of many things. No. Yeah. But uh, my life has been full of luck, so it just continues, hopefully. And it's a foliar feed. It's a foliar feed, yes. It produces a healthy, healthy plant, a good root system. And like you or I, if we're healthy, we don't tend not to develop diseases. But we don't usually think of developing root systems with foliar applications, do we? No. Of course, the chemical itself is manufactured by the plant when it's under stress or attacked by disease. So all we're doing really is topping up the plant. I mean, is there a good time to apply it, and what sort of strengths are you applying it at? I mean, well, do... as far as roses are concerned, we say the two most important applications are the first one in the spring, just as the leaf buds are bursting, and the last one in the autumn when the plant can take them, as it senesces, take the chemical into the plant because I understand the downy mildew lives inside the plant as well as on the leaf and those two applications put on as a root drench because there are not much uh, foliage to aim it at afterwards apply it fortnightly throughout the season I mean I wasn't aware of the root drench does that mean I haven't read the instructions probably <laughs> <laughs> if all if all else fails because it's taken up through the roots through the soil and through the through the leaf yeah so anything that falls on the soil is not lost. Does it change the structure of the leaf when we use it as a foliar feed? Not as far as I know, but I wouldn't, uh, I'm not qualified to say. Yeah, and we're talking about hops and roses. Uh, you gave a list of other uh, commercial crops. Yes. So how widely can it be used? I don't think there's any limit to it, Peter. People keep coming back to me and saying they're using it on... I mean, it's hops, strawberries, apples, both cider and dessert... Uh, raspberries, black currants, uh, carrots, herbs it's been used on, salad leaves, uh, vines, Nordman Christmas trees. Now, they're difficult to establish, and they're using it on those. Well, that's amazing, that is. Spinach, all the Cornish brassicas use it, black currants. Have, nursery stock? I mean, have you done trials uh, if on a crop like uh, salad leaves, for example? No. Nope. I mean, you should be able to see a difference, shouldn't you, if we had a patch and treated one with... Well, there's a very well-known uh, national brand that has used it since year one. And I'm now getting comments on how successful it is on box blight. Now you've opened another box of worms. Well, they well, are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be the same story, won't it? It, it makes the plant more healthy, improve, yeah. improves yeah. Um, the leaf strength. Plus it's a very environmentally friendly product. In fact, it was once classified as organic in America, not now. Yes, I never quite understand that because it's a straight chemical as such, right, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But then if it's naturally occurring, uh, sometimes these things fall within the organic umbrella, don't they? Well, that's right, yeah. So what are the plans for the future, Tom? I want to retire. <laughs> well, I have a daughter who's a garden designer, so probably she'll take it over, I hope. And how do you cope with distribution? I mean, most of these... Um, distribution not... is fine. Uh, a little man up the road here bottles it for me. It's a cottage industry, I call it. UK Mail pick it up from here daily.
Um, it's quite easy. And so if, if we go to the garden centre and buy it, what sort of labels are we looking for? I've got Alms Rose Tonic. There's only one. Peter, there's also a plant tonic. Now, had I, had I realised at the start that it could have been used on other things than roses, it probably would have been called Uncle Tom's Plant and, and Rose and Plant Tonic. But I found out that commercial growers were using it right across the board on all sorts of things. And I thought, well, people are looking at it on garden centre shelves thinking it's plant-specific. And I'm losing sales, so I called it Plant Tonic. It's exactly the same stuff in the same bottle, in a different bottle, rather. Right, so you've got two labels appearing now on garden centre shelves, but the same basic product. It is exactly the same. Tom, it's a fascinating story. I'm very pleased to hear it. Uh, uh, I must admit I've been using it myself. Well, you were the first one I approached Uh, (laughs) years years ago. (laughs) And I still have that bottle (laughs) with a simple type label, and and, and I thought that you'd have to sweep water uphill to get it on the market, (laughs) Uh, you know. Well, the one famous rose breeder said he's never, never going to get that quirky name on garden centre shelves. Yeah. But there we are. Yeah. Tom, it's very interesting. And very shortly, in the next uh, few days, I'm going to actually sow some salad leaves and just treat some with and some without, okay. just to see what the effect is. It's a most interesting story, and I wish you every success with Good. it. Thank you. And the cost, to treat 100 roses for a year, it's about 28 pence per rose bush. 28 pence per rosebush. Yeah. Oh, the one thing I didn't ask is how do people get it? I mean, they just go on the website, do they? They go on my website, which is www.naturalgardensolutions.com. Tom, it's been good to speak to you, and I ho- hope to see you soon. I do. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Bye-bye. What's on? Well, it's the Royal Horticultural Society's Tatton Park Flower Show on the 17th to the 21st. And if you want something a little smaller and uh, a little more gentle, then uh, on Saturday the 20th of July, it's the Windsor Rose and Horticultural Society Show. Uh, That's held in the shadow of Windsor Castle. That's a really fun, gentle event. They had all kinds of activities for the kids including Punch and Judy and that kind of thing. Uh, so I hope to make a trip there and have a look to see what the school children have done growing plants in wheelbarrows once again. Oh, and I nearly forgot. It's the one-day show at Sandringham in the Royal Estate on the 24th of July. Do you know that's a lovely day out? Uh, one of the royal family invariably attend in the afternoon. And as a young man, we used to go to that show... Those were the days when we loaded our old five-tonne army Bedford lorry up with the gladiolus for July and trundled up through East Anglia to Sandringham, set our lorry out behind the marquee and built our display that afternoon and then uh, the next day, of course, would be behind the rope taking orders. And it was one of those occasions when we nipped down the road to the pub at night and we stayed for rather a long time, I have to admit. Uh, And when we got back, the really big wrought iron gates were slammed shut. And to get to our bed, uh, I'm afraid uh, we had to climb over them. I don't know what the security people would do these days if uh, one or two young blokes were seen climbing over the wrought iron gates at Sandringham, but I have very happy memories of that show. A really lovely one day out for people. Thank you.
My thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast, and thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm.